Hello and welcome to episode three of the Pitman Pod. I'm delighted to welcome assistant manager and shot stopper himself, Dan Crane. Craney, how are you going, mate? Yeah, all good, thanks, Roy. Brilliant. Um, so uh, we've just had two pre-season um, friendlies since the last podcast that we recorded with the manager. Both one-one draws. What were your assessment of the those games? Yeah, I think um, all positives to take from the game. Obviously, pre-season is a, a strange time where um, you can lack momentum in games with the with the changes that you make, trying to get everybody minutes. But um, I think from both games, we'll take a lot of positives um, and keep moving into into the pre-season games. Now, as we get closer to the start of the season, um, we'll start looking closer now at formations and and kind of through the start eleven might be for the start of the season. Um, you played um, in the Nuneaton game, didn't you, on at the weekend, but not last I night. Did, yeah. yeah. No. How, how how are you um, sort of balancing both roles, being still an active player, but also now going into coaching? Yeah, obviously it's a it's a fairly new one for me and something that um, that, that me and gloves are, are kind of learning as we go a little bit. Um, but yeah, re- really enjoying both sides. Obviously, still enjoying playing even at the the ripe old age of thirty nine. Um, <laughs> you never lose it, do you? <laughs> hopefully not hopefully not but um, yeah and enjoying working with the lads and, and kind of um, putting our stamp and, and the culture that we're trying to create on the lads as well is something uh, that we're really enjoying as well so yeah hopefully um, the lads will agree that we're, we're balancing it quite well at the minute and, and, and we're sort of learning as we go along Now I obviously wouldn't expect you to name any names because you don't want other clubs to uh, to sort of poach them but have you been impressed with the trialists? Yeah, yeah, I think we've got some some fantastic trialists in, um, which was something we were going to have to do um, with the squad that we were putting together, trying to sign some kind of unknown lads, really. And they've come in and, and right from day one have uh, really impressed us. And, and yeah, hopefully we'll be uh, we'll be making some of those more permanent the next week or so. It really feels like quite a positive attitude around the place um, and a fresh start. Is that something that you're picking up? Yeah, definitely. It was something that, that me and Gloves spoke about very early on when we were talking about kind of with uh, with Gloves bringing me to the club, and it was something that we were both on the same page with about making sure that it is a positive environment, and and we had the right players in, and uh, and making sure forced. Uh, first and foremost, we were bringing in good people to the club, not just good footballers. Um, we got offered some players um, who we knew weren't necessarily going to be right for the group, and we've we've gone for a real positive group that are going to going to work together and be there for each other. So yeah, I think that's main, as a group mainly down to the players that we've brought in, the people that we've brought in, have, have made sure that it is a positive environment. That's an interesting point you make about um, bringing in the right characters. Um, can it be? I guess it might be tempting sometimes just to bring in a player. Um, just for their ability is it definitely a conscious effort from you both that it's characters is probably maybe before ability even yeah, 100%. I mean, even the lads that, that we didn't necessarily know personally, we'd, we'd kind of made maybe five, six phone calls between us to people who did know them to to find out what they're like as people. Are they on time? What are they like in the dressing room? What are they like around other lads? What are they like if they're not playing? Um, all these sort of questions we were asking about lads bef- before we even spoke to them um, to make sure that we were getting getting the right sort of dressing room. Because I'd say me, me and Gloves have both played in dressing rooms where there's, there's been a couple 
couple of a, a couple of lads who aren't like that and don't buy into the group and are maybe there for uh, for themselves rather than the group and it and it can have a it can have a detrimental effect. Don't be wrong. There is those players out there that you're willing to take a gamble on um, and hope the group's strong enough to to kind of um, be positive and uh, be a good group with, with their ability in it. But it was something sort of starting from scratch and, and starting a new culture. We felt it was really important that we had we had sort of a 100% real good group that were all in it together. You're pretty synonymous with um, with Hanson now. After um, I think it was six years as a player, and now obviously um, into coaching. What what does the club mean to you? Oh, it's, it's a very uh, very special place for me. I think I think every every footballer who gets to sort of um, my age or around my age towards the end of their career, everyone sort of says to me, "Who's who's your club?" If you played for a lot of clubs, and, and my answer would have would have always been Hensford. Um, yeah, real special place. I think anyone. I think Aid mentioned in his podcast about it kind of just gets under your skin, and, yeah. and, and it's a real special place. Obviously, spend as much time there as I have. Kind of played nearly three hundred and fifty games. Um, Again, my, my wife's actually from Hensford. Oh, right. We live in Hensford, so we kind of met my. We, I met my wife the first time I was at Hensford, so all her family live in Hensford. So again, just just a bit of a, a bit of a special one for me, really, to go back and and yeah, yeah, very very special for, for, for club for me. Yeah, that's a lot of games um, to play at, at non-league because it's kind of um, I, I guess it's one of those. Um, what's the kind of word I'm looking for? It's a little bit chop and change, isn't it? Um, do you are you guys both looking for that now in the current squad, looking for people to commit and have that stability? Yeah, definitely. Like you say, I think it's 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 very rare now in in non league. Like I think um, clubs touched in his podcast. Well, there's been a lot of comings and goings at Hensford over the over the last kind of three or four years and the fans haven't been able to feel that affinity with, with a group um, yeah definitely it's looking something we're looking to do we want, want lads that are going to that are going to stay and, and want to hopefully progress with with what we're trying to do at the football club and, and the positive things we're doing and, and we want people who are going to be be here for the for the, for the long journey not just this season and, and, and the season after it's, a, it's about building a group when you look at any club you look at the bigger clubs the Liverpools the, the Man Cities they've built groups over over two or three seasons and and, and, and that's what's something that we'll be looking to do and, and, and bring people on the journey with us Yeah you kind of mentioned those big teams I sort of liken Hensford to um, the Man City version of the, the sort of the league that we're in how do you think um, you guys will cope with the pressure of being the big scalp, I mean, teams are going to rock up to Keys Park every week, and it'll be a cup final for them. Absolutely, I, I think uh, I'm big on controlling the controllables, and, and that's something that's that's going to come, and people are going to come and do that. And that's out of our control. We we, we have an amazing stadium and, and a lovely pitch. We can't control what people come and do when they come to our place. We can control what we do, and we'll make sure the lads are ready for that. Um, they're, they're, they've got the right mindset for that as well. That, that teams are going to come, and it's going to be their cup final, and, and we've got to find a way as a group to overcome that and make sure we're ready for that. And hopefully, the teams that do come and, and make it their cup final, that'll, that'll raise our lads. And, and, and with the amazing fans that we've had at two two home games already, it'll make it a real, um, hopefully, a bit of an intimidating place to come, even if they want to make it. Their cup final um, and, and, and we'll overcome that and, and it won't be a problem um, It's been spoken about so much but obviously the uncertainty in, in, in the summer um, when were you first sort of offered the opportunity to come and, um, and, and come back to the club and, and, I, and I suppose it was an easy decision for you yeah, so so me, me and Gloves obviously have known each other a long time, and we've we, we've spoke a lot over the years, really. Um, 
And it, yeah, it, it, we chatted about it a little bit um, about a possibility of me of me coming back. But again, it was just a bit of a conversation, really. And then um, as it got sort of closer to after the end of the season, we had a conversation, and it was a kind of would you be interested that sort of spoke about his plans and, and what I bring as well. Um, and then obviously the collapse of everything and, and he sort of rang me and said, mate, it's off, we're, we're done, go fight, you need to fight. If you want to carry on playing or, or go into management, you need to find yourself another club. Um, but I'll be honest, I wasn't, I'd sort of pin my hopes on, on, on everything. It hence really, my name, me and Gloves were both really excited. Um, but obviously that looked like it was dead. So yeah, at my age, I wasn't really desperate to go and find something. I was kind of thinking, well, okay, I've, I've had a few holidays booked. I was like, right, we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I was actually on my way up to, um, on my way up to Liverpool with uh, with my old team for our end of season weekend away. And Gloves rang me. I was on the train. He was like, don't sign for anybody this weekend. I was like, mate, I'm on work to Liverpool. And I was flying out to Italy with my wife on the Monday. I was like, you've got at least a week and a half, mate. Just, you do what you got to do. You let me know. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in. If, if it's on, I'm in. And as sort of as the as I was in Italy, my wife wasn't very happy. I was getting <laughs> phone calls and text messages off gloves most days, telling me it's like this is happening and this might be happening. And I was like, look, mate, let's. So anyway, I obviously got back um, on the Friday, and then I think I can't remember it was either announced on the Friday afternoon or the Saturday that everything was back on. Um, so yeah, it was absolutely chuffed. Obviously, to go from sort of the low of thinking it was all off to the highs that it was all back on was brilliant. Sounds like gloves owes you one with being in the doghouse with your wife in Italy. Oh yeah, I think uh, <laughs> if she didn't know better, I think she thought I was having an affair. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure gloves would be flattered. Um, could I just take you back to sort of um, to sort of your career and starting off at West Brom? Um, if I'm right, you were kind of there in the early 2000s. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Signed in, in 2000 when I left school. Yeah. So um, if oh, I'm trying to think all that way way back, was it with Russell Holt and Brian Jensen who'd have been the senior keepers then? They were, yeah. It was those two. Yeah. Did they did they sort of take you under their wing? Did you have much to do with with the first teamers? Yeah, I was, I was pretty lucky from sort of 16 onwards because um, they were both, especially especially Holty, he was a bit older. Um, so I'd quite often get dragged in to train with the first team. Um, so from sort of even from a very like 16 years old, I was in, I'd get called in at least a couple of times a week, even if it was just to go and do shooting with the strikers. So yeah, I had a lot to do with them. Then train with the train with the keepers um, every day the goalie coach was in. So yeah, I had a lot to do with them and they were, they were great with me for as a young keeper as well. They were brilliant. Because you're kind of in that role now with with sort of our our younger keepers, aren't you? Are, are you um, enjoying that role in helping to develop them? Yeah, it's great, and I, I think in non-league as well, you don't you don't always get someone like that. I know when I was at Hensford before, I barely had a goalie coach or or even a number two to sort of bounce off. So it can become difficult at, at non-league level to have somebody like that. So I know how important it can be to have a, have a goalie coach, and or even just even if it's not a goalie coach, just someone a little bit older to to advise you and give you some advice on situations. So yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm loving it, trying to trying to give the younger lads something that maybe I didn't have in my non-league career but obviously replicating some things that I did have um, kind of a, a, a more professional level and, and trying to help them as as goalkeepers and, and as young people as well. Just sort of going back to um, your time at West Brom um, I think this sort of element's kind of died in football now but did you have any um, sort of jobs like cleaning players boots and things like that? 
Yeah, yeah. We used to have a um, a rotor every every that used to roll every sort of four weeks. It was uh, cleaning the balls, putting the goals out, uh, sweeping the dressing room, cleaning the boots, all those. Yeah, we we very much did all those sorts of things. I mean, it's such a it was such a quite a, um, a, a, an interesting period uh, um, at West Brom during that time. Were you on the books during the um, the the infamous Battle of Bramall Lane? Yeah, with Andy Johnson. Yeah, oh, I was. Yeah, I remember, yeah. remember that well. <laughs> Oh, it's pretty iconic. Um, do you remember anything that was kind of said around the place at that time? Because I know that that sort of Neil Warnock was quite angry and sort of wondering whether it was all a ploy. Was there anything that was discussed, or were you kind of not um, hearing anything? Around? Because obviously you would have been, I guess, a bit apart from the first team. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd have only been young then. Like I said, I remember it all happening, but uh, regards kind of first team chat and that, we, we, the youth team, we had a separate dressing room, so we were away from that. Yeah, um, and I guess, um, so you left West Brom. How, how was, obviously, a massive club, how did you sort of deal with that emotionally? Um, and a sort of second part to that question is, um, you're probably going to get players that, that you decide um, probably don't fit in the system once the season starts or players that fall out of plans. Um, how will you use your experience to sort of help the young lads at Hensford with that element of the game? Yeah, it was it was tough, but obviously um, you commit a lot of your life, to, especially when you leave school. And kind of did my, my three years uh, scholarships sort of YTS and my one year pro. Um, I'd been there sort of twelve months before that as well, so I spent a lot of time at the football club. Um, but yeah, it was just one of those things for me. I, I couldn't really see my, myself forcing my way into the first team or anything like that. So it, I think it was just, just I'd had a good ground at West Brom and had good people around me. And it was a case of moving on and, and trying to forge a career. And, uh, and yeah, I think initially you, t- you take it hard because it is personal that someone doesn't want you. But I think after that, after a period of kind of sitting down and thinking, right, OK, we'll put a new plan together. Where do we go from here? Um He's sort of good to go. Uh, regards help it, yeah. Regards kind of help it, helping lads that that we might not see in our plans. Um, me and gloves have spoken. It's just about being honest with people and, and letting them know as soon as possible if they're not in your plans. And then I've still got a lot of contacts in football. I know a lot of people from from kind of all levels so if someone doesn't fit into our plans I'll, I'll personally and I know Bluffs is the same we'll do everything we can to try and um, to try and fix them up with a with a club that does fit them and where they will be playing games and things so so yeah just I think yeah just using our, our connections that we've got between us which is which is a fair few to be fair is we'll be trying to help them um, if they don't fit in our plans and, and just because they don't fit in our plans now they might only be young lads it might be, be something that we, we touch bases with them in the future Danny mentioned it in his podcast about the the welfare of players and how sometimes that gets overlooked because especially in the professional game that are you know players on big money um footballers are kind of treated differently to um sort of people that work in other industries is it a big part of your focus is is player welfare really yeah 100% I think we've both been involved with managers where you're not really treated as a person it's just you're just a player and if you're not playing well they're not interested in talking to you and if you are playing well you're the best thing since sliced bread um, we've played in lots of environments like that where where we're hoping to bring to management where and when we spoke about it a lot with the lads that they will be treated like in a working environment if you make a mistake um at work no one's going to drag you in the office and be screaming and shouting in your face 
um, that's that's kind of how, how we're going to be doing things. If, if something's gone wrong um, on a match day, we're not going to be screaming and shouting and, and personally abusing people in their faces. It's going to be a conversation about what went wrong and how can we fix it. Um, and moving forward that way, there won't be any sort of, um, I don't know, sort of, oh, we've had quite aggressive managers over the years. Um, there'll, be, there'll be none of that um, in the dressing room. Lads will be treating like people first and foremost. It's kind of ironic. I can hear the, the banging in the background. You're not throwing plates at players at the minute. <laughs> no, no, that's what I've told you not. <laughs> just, just checking. Um, so when you left West, uh, West Brom and went to Burton, you um, you played uh, with an under Nigel Clough, didn't you? Are you there, Dan? Sure. Oh, sorry, are you there? Yeah, cheer, mate. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, it kind of went a bit then. Don't worry. Um, I was just saying that when you um, left West Brom, you played under and um, with Nigel Clough. I did, yeah, that's right. What was what was he like? Yeah, uh, strange guy, if I'm honest. Uh, got on really well with him. But, yeah, after, after obviously hearing all the stories about his dad, um, very, very different. But, yeah, very, very loyal manager. Um, someone who I got on, got on really well with in my time there. Um, but, yeah, just kind of, I don't know, not what I expected, I, I suppose. Yeah, and did, uh, did he um, talk a lot about his dad then? Uh, not particularly, no. It was something. His, his dad actually um, passed away when I was at the club. Um, I think his dad passed away on something like the Monday night and we had to play on the Tuesday. Uh, we had Barnet away and Barnet offered to offered to call the game off. Um, but Clough, not Nigel Clough being Clough, he was like, no, like he was quite a, quite a stern character. Um, he was like, no, no, we'll play the game. And never forget, we went out Barnet away and we were 2-0 down at half-time. Um, and he didn't actually come in the dressing room as assistant manager said, if you've ever sort of got anything in you to turn a game around... Um, do it today for the gaff and we actually went out and won the game 3-2 um, there was a lot of lads in that dressing room who sort of knew his dad personally and I've, I don't think I've ever seen so many grown men crying after a football game it was it was quite a, quite a, a surreal special moment really Did you ever meet him Brian Clough? I didn't know cause when I, I'd, so I had been at the club long when that happened so um, I know he used to come to a lot of the games when um, as though in, in Cluffy's early reign at Burton but he'd, he'd, I think he'd got poorly by the time I'd got there so I didn't yeah. actually get a chance to meet him Do you think some of the players kind of found it difficult to play under Nigel knowing obviously his playing career and, and, and how famous his dad was and his kind of like the name's football royalty did that add any pressure do you think? No, I don't think so. I think I think Nigel made made it quite clear that it was two kind of very separate things. Um, he tried to use his experiences with as a player, um, and his, like I said, his dad never really got talked about really. So no, it was, he, he did he did a good job of keeping everything separate. I think he's quite a private guy anyway, so he didn't really kind of share too much about his playing career or his um, or his dad really. So it made it quite easy. Um, when you left um, Burton, uh, you joined a club that some of our listeners might not have been around um, when they were sort of in the leagues. Rushton and Diamonds, what was your experience like there? Yeah, again, it was a, it was a, it was obviously an opportunity to go back, uh, well, try, go back into into full time um, League Two as well, an opportunity to play league football. Um, it was it was a strange one. I'd, I'd, I'd gone in over Christmas, sort of on trial, um, and they offered offered me a deal to go and be the number two. Um, I was like, yeah, great. I was sort of only what I've been to about twenty twenty one maybe. Um, Saw it as a great opportunity to, to get get involved in in League Two and maybe play a game if, if I got the opportunity. Um, they had a goalie on loan from um, 
I think he's from Reading and he, he conceded nine over the Christmas period in two games um, and actually threw me in on, on New Year's Day away at Peterborough so I'd sort of gone from quickly signing a, signing a contract till the end of the season thinking I was going to be number two to uh, start against Peterborough on New Year's Day so it was, it was a bit of a, a bit of a reality a reality shock for me really. Yeah, and um, we were you there when the club or the club's sort of financial problems um, were surfacing, or had you left by that point? No, I'd left. You could you could start. You could see the start of it when I when I was there. Obviously, um, for anyone that sort of knows, Max Max Grigg was the owner mm-hmm. um, who owned Doctor Martins, and I think he pumped a lot of money into the club. And he he just started a couple of years before I got there, started to sort of stop doing that. Um, so yeah, you could you could see the start of it when I was there, but I think the real decline started uh, kind of two or three years after I left. When you kind of think of Russian and Diamonds and then nearly what happened to Hensford, was it a bit like flashbacks for you, like a club that you play for could no longer exist? Oh, definitely, because Rushton was was a, a, a little bit like I mean, they had an amazing stadium. They had the amazing training ground that was attached to the stadium. So obviously, sort of on a bit of a bigger scale than Hensford, but yeah, again, a massive club with a massive following. Um, obviously, went under, and yeah, it was it was kind of a bit of bit of deja vu when that started happening at Hensford. Um, one thing I'd like to sort of mention is and talk to you about is keeper psychology because I've read a quote that you've got to be mad to be a goalkeeper. I mean, you don't strike me as someone that's mad, but um, it, does it take a different kind of character to be a keeper than, say, an outfield player? Uh, yeah, it's, 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 I think that people use it a lot. It's a, it's a sport within a sport, really. Um, I don't like to use the word mad. Maybe different, maybe. Uh, maybe. <laughs> it wasn't me that came up with that quote, by the way, just for <laughs> total clarity. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, it, it's, 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 a, it's a very different... It's almost an individual sport within a sport. I know we are part of the team and we're important, but um, kind of from a, definitely from a psychology point of view, it's, it's quite a personal thing and, and really lads, in, in the outfield positions, don't really don't really get it. I think, but the, the, the pressure is massive, isn't it? It's um, it's there for everyone to see. You, you make a mistake, it leads to a goal. You have to bounce back from that, um, it, whether it be in that game or in the games that follow. Um, so yeah, it's it's, it's definitely definitely different. It takes a, and maybe that's why people say we're mad. It takes a different <laughs> character to be a goalkeeper. Um, so yeah, no, yeah, definitely different from from a lot of aspects. And um, because uh, I mean, any mistake is sort of heightened because it often leads to a goal or 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 you know a, a keeper getting sent off or something in the phase of the game. I mean, you can't really necessarily make a mistake as a goalkeeper and and it's fine. Whereas if you're a striker, you can miss a chance, but that still um, might not influence the outcome um, of the game. How um, as a coach? Do you try and impress upon the young keepers at Hensford to keep going even in the face of mistakes um, that might cost the game? Um, for, for me, it's, it's something that comes... You, you'll be able to uh, deal better with it with experience. Um, the more you do it, the more you play, the more games you play, um, you, you just get used to it. You get to deal with it better. It's hard to give someone tips on it because you know, I can say all these things to, to a young keeper and, and on, on that in that in that moment when, when things go wrong in a game, they're going to go back to default. It's about just creating positive habits in both training and in games and, and, and letting them pull up on their experience. And, and obviously, you keep trying to talk to them about things that you might do and, and, and 
influence in the game. But I think the big thing it comes down to for me is it's it's, it's feeling like you've got a manager or, or a goalie coach that, that trusts you and trusts in your ability and, and knowing that um, if you do make a mistake, it, it, that's exactly what it was, a, a one-off mistake. And it's about building that consistency and making sure that the, the manager and the goalie coach and your teammates can trust you. And then when you do make a mistake, it's sort of like, look, this doesn't happen very often. It's, it's done. Obviously, I'm not... I'm not naive enough and, and no goalkeeper is to think that if you keep making the same mistakes or, or mistakes that lead to goals at our level or at the highest level you're going to find yourself not in the team so you have to li- you have to limit those mistakes to, to a minimum being consistent as possible but yeah it's just something uh, as a keeper you, you learn to get better at um, and, and, and like you say dealing with, dealing with adversity and mistakes makes you stronger and, and, and the more you do it, it the, the longer you play you, you get stronger w- with each game and with each season and with each little bit of experience it was something that, that I always frowned upon when I was younger like oh experience cold is I'm sick of hearing about it but now being on the other side of it and being experienced I definitely understand what they mean by that um, definitely helps with, with the amount of games and, and, and seasons you've played um, we've got a few questions from uh, supporters that have commented on the post. I know you've seen them because uh, Danny's asked you too, which seems a bit cheeky to be honest. But you know, um, there we go. Um, so one of them just kind of throws into um, what I was going to mention about having targets. Um, Ian Pitt is mentioning about thinking that you'll need to keep ten clean sheets um, if you, you know, presuming that you are, which it looks like going to be the number one going into the season. Do you um, think that's a reasonable target, and do you have targets in your head before the start of the season? Yeah, I think I think there's been a lot talked about about the, the kind of golden glove and, and that with the Haya winning it. I'll be really honest: if we win every game this season and I concede. I don't keep one clean sheet. I couldn't care less. Um, oh, that's an interesting take. Yeah, here's my honest answer for you. I, I have no interest. At, uh, I don't sure I ever have in, in personal accolades. Um, it's about three points on a, on a Saturday or a Tuesday, or, or getting to the next round of the cup, whatever that might be. So. Personally, do I want to keep a lot of clean sheets? Yes, because generally you keep clean sheets, you win football matches. Um, do I have a target? Not really. I have a target for the, for the group and, and, and where we would like to be and the amount of games that we want to win. Um, but personally, like I say, if we're getting three points on a Saturday and we're, we're not keeping a clean sheet, I'll take the three points over a personal clean sheet any day. Yeah, and uh, this next question is uh, from the boss himself, um, and I think everybody listening to this will know the answer, but maybe maybe it's different to what we all think. What's the save that you've made um, that you think about the most? <laughs> and if it's not if it's not that save, I think we're all going to be a bit upset. But you know, <laughs> yeah, I think someone actually posted a picture. I think of, of the actual. Save, they did, right? yeah, they did. It's uh, it's got it's got to be the uh, the winning penalty save in the in the playoff semi final um, against um, against Foyle. Yeah, I think that's that, that's got to be be the standout one. How was that for you? Because I mean, it, it's it's almost a history defining save. It's so embedded now within the culture of the club, and it's particularly I think been spoken a lot about online recently. Now we're kind of back up and running again, sort of reminiscing about it. Um, I mean, it, that must have just been an unbelievable moment for you. Yeah, it was. It, it was a strange game. It, it summed up goalkeeping in 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 120 minutes and a penalty shootout. Really, it was a massive, massive low. Uh, the, the the goal that we conceded to go into extra time was actually a free kick from the halfway line that ended up going in. 
um, I came to the cross and it just floated over me. So there's me. Do you talk about kind of coming back from from mistakes? Yeah. I kind of remember that going in thinking, oh, geez, I'm never going to play for this football club again. And that's going to be my last me- I mean, These are the thoughts that are going through my head yeah. on the football pitch. I'm never going to play for this club again. And that's all, all what I'm going to be remembered for and, and all these things. Um and yeah, the lads, the lads bowed me out and got got us to penalties, um, and then yeah, saved two in the shootout. So I remember sitting there in the dressing room after the game, and and and, and just thinking, well, if if if, if, if goalkeeping summed up in one game of football, that was it. At extreme lows to extreme highs, but but yeah, one that that still lives lives long in the memory. Um, and just on on the subject of penalty shootouts, I know. Um, I mean, I'm an avid football fan, and I've seen sort of um, goalkeepers have all sorts of tricks to um, decipher where the players are going to take the penalty, you know, writing it um, on, on bottles, etc. Um, did you do much, much research going into that game or indeed any penalty shootout? Nah, none at all. None at all. Total instinct. Uh, yeah, I, just, I, go on, I go on my gut. I look, I look at how players run up to the ball, look what footed they are. Um, again, I think it's just something that, that with experience, I'd like to think about to, uh, in a, in a penalty situation, um, and it's far so I'll go continues with my, my theories today. <laughs> okay, uh, Vicky Jane Birch is asking, um, would you be happy if another goalkeeper was brought into the club? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. As, as now somebody's on the other side of it, and we, we want the, the strongest squad possible, whether that be extra goalkeepers, extra strikers, midfielders, whatever position that might be, anything that's going to strengthen the group, um, 100%, absolutely. Because um, Danny sort of mentioned it, and I, I was always fascinated by this, the idea of the player manager, player coach role. If someone's brought in in your position, um, that I guess for you it's just whatever's best for Hensford, isn't it? Absolutely. Like I said, we... We've got to wear two hats now. We've got to wear our, our playing hats, and, it, and if and if me and me and gloves playing it is what's best for the group and what's best for the club, then absolutely we'll be playing. But if if it gets to a point where, like say, that we bring somebody in who, who is who is better in in that situation than us, and it's better for the team and better for the club, then then we're very much looking to to progress as a management team as as well as anything else. And and we'd be we'd be cutting our nose off to spite our face if we if we kept ourselves in when there was a better option. Um, Trevor Edwards has asked, uh, who do you do you personally see as the um, six challengers? Which uh, you know that's quite a lot to sort of think about. But so I guess I'll reframe that question in terms of who do you see as the main challengers this season? Yeah, I think it's it's difficult with with non-league in, in any league. You look, you look kind of historically down the leagues, and somebody who might have finished fifth from bottom one year goes and then challenges the year after or mid-table and uh, obviously budgets change and ownership changes and players change so much it's it's difficult to call it obviously I wasn't involved in the, in the league last year so I don't I don't know the teams personally I know that Chase Town will, will be strong that they did well in their in their league last year and the league before that so them coming across I think I think they will be right up there um, obviously you've got the teams that finished in the playoffs last year I know I know Leeds could be strong again um, and, and then you've got the Liverpool team City of Liverpool and teams like that so yeah it's difficult to tell because like I say there's so much overhaul um, it, with changing players and management it's, it's difficult to call it so I, I always like to go on a guide of don't look at the league table till at least 10 games in and then you, you may start to, to form a few pictures of how things might start to work out No absolutely what I was wondering just mentioning that 
there about league tables. Do you, are you as a player um, or during your career or indeed now as an assistant, when do you start to pay attention to it? Yeah, I think yeah, I'd, I'd be lying if I said I didn't, you don't have a quick look at it on a Saturday evening. Um, we, all, we all do it, even the lads that say they don't. We all have a quick look. Um, but I think I think Christmas time is always the, peri- the period where you're going, right, where where are we at now, right? How far, Are we in the playoffs? Are we touching the top? Are we in the middle looking to chase the playoffs? Or... Or is it a season where we've just left ourselves a bit too much to do? I think they're the questions that you ask yourself around around Christmas time, um, and it gives you an indication of uh, of where you might be or, or what the targets are for the for the second half of the season. Um, I've got an interesting question for you now, um, and that is if um, you had to pick a five aside Hensford team, do you remember the um, the Masters that were on Sky um, a few years ago? Yeah. Um, say for example, Hensford, you know we we. Get the call, um, and we're in to uh, to play a Hensford Masters. Put yourself in goal. What kind of four outfield players that you've played with would you put in? Oh, I best put the boss up top. Else you won't be happy with me. Best put gloves up top. Um, oh, I'm gonna have to. Go. Oh, it's a tough one. I'm gonna go with Ben Bailey at the back because I don't think he'll forgive me for that <laughs> in there. Um, I'll go Jamie Osborne in midfield. Uh, oh, who do I put in there? It's a tough one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go attacking. I'm gonna go Michael Lennon just for his banter. I think <laughs> he can say some jokes while you're on the uh, on the court. That's a really good team that is, uh, and I think I think that would win the non-league Masters absolutely. Um, uh, just uh, just uh, just finally talking about the the weekend game against um, Barla Town. Is that that another good test that you're looking forward to? Yeah, obviously they, they they play in the Welsh Prem again. Um, I don't think many of us know much about the Welsh Prem, but um, they'll they'll be a strong strong team coming to coming to give us a good test again as well. Um, and we're looking to obviously, like I said, right at the start of the pod now, we're we're looking to. Um, get more minutes in the land, start looking at formations and, and, and kind of seeing where we're at come the next couple of weeks. So, yeah, it'd be, it'd be another good test and hopefully a, a, another good crowd. It was, it was, the last two home games have been brilliant for the lads and, and kind of uh, puts a real big smile on my face to come back and play in front of that, that, those sorts of crowds. It's been amazing. That's a great way to, uh, to sort of end, Dan. Um, it's 2.30 kick-off, we should add, isn't it, on Saturday? Is, yeah. yeah, a bit slightly earlier, but uh, definitely get down to Keys Park. Dan, thank you ever so much for your time um, and uh, good luck for the rest of the season. Cheers, Roy. Thank you very much.